Genesis have, have covered about 2,000 years. And then in chapter 12, we see the call of Abram. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I, whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Profound message given to this man, Abram. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So important to remember, he had already left Ur of the Chaldees. That's over in Mesopotamia. Ur of the Chaldees was where uh, Abram was raised, born. Um, he and his family had left there, headed towards Canaan, but only got as far as Haran. And then God gives Abram this message that he's going to make him into a great nation. And he's going to bless him. And, and, and that all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through him. Now imagine Abram's circumstance. He came out of Ur of the Chaldees, which was a very cosmopolitan city of its day, probably around two to 300,000 people. So it was a good-sized community. Very polytheistic. There was a God for just about everything. It would have been like living in New Delhi, I suppose. The Indian uh, people have some 300 million gods. Well, Ur of Chaldees probably wasn't far behind that. Very polytheistic. And that's how Abram was raised. He was raised amongst all of these plethora of different kinds of gods. And yet, they hear the voice of the one true God. Now, Abram's looking forward. He's not in the position that we are in today. We're looking back. We have the full revelation of the Scriptures. We know a lot of what has gone on. Abram doesn't know any of that stuff. He just hears a voice. He senses a call from God telling him, leave your country and head towards this place that I'm going to show you, and therein I will make you a great nation. That's pretty profound. That's deep stuff. But he obeyed. And in that promise is the promise that Abram is going to have a child because you can't be a great nation unless... You have someone coming after you, right? So there's a promise that he's going to get some land, he's going to have uh, offspring, and the whole nation is going to be blessed by him. Abram is 75 years old at this point. Now, it's important to understand that Abram means exalted father. So it's one of those situations where your name doesn't exactly line up with your situation because he's 75 years old and he hasn't had a kid. Wants to have a kid, but he hasn't had a kid yet. And, and imagine going through and, and telling all your friends, wow, God promised me that he's going to give me this land and I'm going to have a, a great nation that follows after me and all the nations of the world will be blessed through me. Imagine sharing that with your friends. Hmm. Okay, let's move now to Genesis 15. Abram has just rescued his nephew Lot. Lot was taken captive uh, by some kings, and Abram took his company of about 300 men, went after those kings, rescued Lot, and it was a great victory, an amazing victory, really, uh, against uh, pretty steep odds. After that, Abram meets Melchizedek, who blesses Abram. So it's this really 
zenith type of a, a moment. You know, everything has gone well. He's rescued his, his nephew. There's this uh, really good thing going, and yet somehow, for some reason, Abram's afraid. He's uncertain. Have you ever been there after the mountaintop? You have that really great experience, and then Satan just comes against you and starts to attack and make you question your circumstances or your situation or God's blessing or love for you. That's what's happening here with Abram. Much like what happened with Elijah after he defeated the prophets of Baal there on Mount Carmel. I mean, he's just defeated 450 prophets of Baal, right? Dramatic show of the power of God. And little old Jezebel says, well, I'm going to have your, your head by the end of the day. And so Elijah runs, goes to the desert, says, Lord, I'm no better than my fathers. Kill me now. Even the great men and women of faith have their moments. And Abraham's having one of those moments here. So God comes to him in a vision and says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children. I mean, this is probably about 10 years or so after the promise in Genesis chapter 12. So it's like, Okay, Lord, you promised to make me a great nation. I still don't have any kids. What's going on? Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man, Eliezer, will not be your heir, but a son who is from your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And verse 6, and this is what we'll be getting to in, in uh, Romans chapter 4. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So Abram believed the Lord's word, just took him at his word. You're going to have offspring from your own flesh and blood. That is how I'm going to fulfill the promise to you, Abram. Abram believed that, took the Lord at his word, and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. Remember that word credited. We'll talk about that when we get into Romans chapter 4. Now, jump ahead two more chapters into Genesis chapter 17. So, promise to Abram at age 75. At age 85, Abram's depressed, discouraged. God says, I'm your very great reward and shield. You will have a son from your own body, Abram. So Abram ends up taking matters into his own hands, goes into his wife's handmaid, Hagar, has a son, Ishmael, and Ishmael is born... Ishmael grows. He's about 13 years old by the time we reach this point of time in Genesis 17. So, so I, the reason I'm pointing out these time frames to you is imagine the faith of Abraham. This all started when he was 75. He's about 99 years old now. 24 years or so have come and gone. He has Hagar, but, or excuse me, he has Ishmael, but Ishmael is not the promise. So now we're going to see that he gets the covenant of circumcision. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. 
Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be now the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram or exalted father, but your name will be Abraham or father of many nations. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and to your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Now, one thing I want you to focus in on here, because I'm going to make reference to it in a moment, is verse 5, where he changes his name from Abram to Abraham, exalted father to father of many nations. He says, for I have made you a father of many nations. Now, Abram doesn't even have Isaac yet. He has Ishmael, but he doesn't have Isaac. And yet God calls it out that he already is, in God's view, the father of many nations. Remember that. Now let's go back to to Romans chapter 4. That's all the, the groundwork. You understand a little bit about the progression of the promise to Abram in chapter 12, the reaffirmation of that promise in chapter 15, and then the, prom, or, and then the sign of circumcision that followed, and the, again, when he was 99, the reaffirmation of the promise. So, verse 1, chapter 4, what shall we say then that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter. Of course, the matter is being justification. How are we justified before God? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's that Scripture from Genesis 15.6. Abraham believed God. So the Scripture, Paul points out, supports the idea that justification comes not by works, not by the things we do, but rather by faith, the belief in what God has promised. So it's important because Abraham, the Jews looking at Abraham, looked at him as this this premium as far as their faith. He was the one that their nation came from. In fact, in some of their writings, they said that Abraham kept the whole law. Well, the law hadn't come yet, but they wrote that Abraham kept the whole law, that he was blameless in all of his ways. Well, if you read through Genesis, you, you find out very quickly that Abraham was not blameless. He, he blew it on numerous occasions. So Paul's making the point that the father of your, your nation, the father of the Jewish faith and the Jewish people, was not justified by works, but he was justified by believing God, by taking God at his word and trusting him and holding on to that promise through a period of time that covered at least 25 years. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So the word credit, in in the Greek, literally what it means, it's taking something and putting it into an account. It's it's an accounting term of putting something from one column into the other. So when God credits us with righteousness, he takes the righteousness of Christ 
and he moves that righteousness into our column. And he says, Greg is righteous. He possesses the righteousness of my son Jesus Christ because he has believed in Jesus Christ. Now, if I were to choose rather to make my way to heaven on my own power, in my own works, then wages uh, are not a gift but an obligation. There's nothing that gets moved into my account as a gift. Everything that is in my account comes by my own effort, my own works. Well, that's the problem. Because my works will never fill up that column sufficiently to say that Greg is possessing of the righteousness of Christ in my own works. Okay, I'm going to reveal a little bit about myself. I really like the show American Ninja Warrior. Anybody else ever watch that show? Okay. So I'm not the only one. Christy sort of scratches her head about why I get into that. But anyway, they finally made it to, to, to level three. They're having this, this team event. They're in level three, right? They have to go through these different levels of, of uh, obstacle courses. Very difficult. Level three has never been, been achieved by anybody on American soil before. And there's this one guy from Europe, and he's just amazing. He's in level three. And not only is he in level three, but he's just moving through that like it's butter. And every, the announcers are just blown away. How is this guy doing it? He gets to the very last rung, and he falls. He wasn't good enough. He didn't make level three. That's how we are. We can be doing great. We can be moving through life, hitting it at every point, just perfect. And then along comes that one situation where we lie to someone. It's, oh, man. I didn't make it. Not good enough. Now, let's stay real here. The fact is that most of us don't even get past the first obstacle on level one. As 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 living human lives, you know. Sin catches all of us from the cradle to the grave. So you don't want to be working for justice with God. Justice is getting what you deserve. And you don't want justice with God because if you get what you deserve, you're going to get death. You don't just want mercy from God. Mer justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. What you want from God is grace. Because grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's having the righteousness of Christ put into your account so that you can walk out today and know without any doubt at all in your mind that when God looks at Indeliza, he's looking at the righteousness of his son. When he looks at any of us, he's looking at the righteousness of his son. That's what faith does. That's what justification by grace does. It takes away all of the worry that I'm going to fall on the last rung because God's already given it to us. He's already said, my son made it through level five. You're good. So, Abraham, character from Jewish history, points out that justification is by faith. Now David, the great king, points the same thing out. Uh, Paul is going to quote him from Psalm 32. 
David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. In Micah chapter 7, verse 19, there's this great scripture. Uh, it's up here on, before us. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. That's what David's talking about here. He's saying that our sins are cast away into the depths of the sea. He has tread them underfoot. They will never again rise up to draw attention at the throne of God. He's put them into the depths of the sea. Psalm 103 also gives us a, a, a great promise with regards to the forgiveness of our sins. It says that the love for the Father is as high as the heavens above the earth. So great is his love for those who follow him. And he has moved the sin, our sin, go ahead and put up the next scripture, as far as the east is from the west. So that's what David's talking about here. Sin cast into the depths of the sea. Sin removed as far as the east is from the west. Righteousness being conveyed from God's account into our account. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstance was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. Remember, the, the promise came to him when he was 75. The, faith, or the righteousness was credited to him when he was about 85. He was circumcised when he was about 99. So faith came before circumcision. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So circumcision didn't confer righteousness. Circumcision was simply a symbol of righteousness that had already been conferred due to Abraham's faith. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So Paul's making the point that whether you're a Jew and circumcised, whether you're a Gentile and uncircumcised, the issue is faith. And the justification comes by grace and belief in the finished work of Christ on the cross. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath and where there is no law, there is no transgression. And Abraham was called out. It was credited to him as righteousness 430 years before the law was given on Mount Sinai. The law wasn't even in the conversation at the point that righteousness was credited to Abram. It was all by faith. Later, Abram was circumcised. He became Abraham as a symbol of the faith that he had exercised already. This is important because, again, oftentimes we will stop. Even if we've been walking by faith, sometimes we will stop and say, am I good enough? I was sharing with Jeff the story of my father. My father was was uh, raised as a Catholic, did the whole Catholic thing. He was altar boy in Mass every, every morning before school, the whole, whole nine yards. Um, but, but he did not have uh, a salvation experience with God. 
he had actually ended up uh, stepping away from the Catholic faith. And then through uh, my work as a pastor and, and sharing with him and stuff, he came to faith, came to a salvation experience with Jesus Christ. Profound, in his, later in his life. But then, about two days before he died, he understood grace, he understood salvation. Two days before he died, I'm having a conversation with him. He knows he's going to die. And the statement he made to me, even at that point, was, I hope I've done enough good things for God to let me in. And of course, we had to revisit, Dad, that's not how you're going to get in there. It's not by your works. But the point is that if you're depending upon the law, that's the kind of mindset you get into. Have I been good enough? This is not anything but a gift. Therefore, it's a promise. Verse 16, therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is a father in the sight of our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being the things that were not. Remember that passage in, in Genesis 17, 5, where God said, I have made you the father of many nations, even though he had not yet had Isaac. God calls things into being that are not. And that's powerful to me. I, as, I, as I just think about that, that's powerful. He's looking at me, and though my life may not look like it aligns with the righteousness of God in Christ, God is calling it out and saying, yes, it does. It's the same thing that happened to Gideon when the Midianites were, were oppressing the Israelites. Where, where was Gideon found? Gideon was hiding out. He, he, he was in a, in a hiding place afraid. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, and what did the angel of the Lord say? You big coward! What are you doing here? No, that's not what he said. He said, Arise, mighty man of God. You have work to do. Isn't that great? He's hiding in, in, in the threshing building away from the Midianites, and God calls him out as a mighty man. In, in, in Genesis 18, three men come to visit Abram and Sarah. And they say to Abraham, about this time next year, Sarah will have a son. Sarah's in the other room of the tent. She hears this, and she begins to laugh. She's 90 years old. You know, her time had come and gone. And she begins to laugh. Will I have pleasure at this point in my life? Will I really be able to give birth to a son at age 90? And so God comes around the corner and confronts her for her, for her laughing. And she says, oh, I wasn't laughing. He says, yes, you were. You were laughing. But here's the great thing about that. Here's the great thing about that. Some of you in here maybe are like Sarah. You think your, your day has come and gone. 
you're past the point of being able to be a blessing or a benefit to anyone. And God's saying, no, no, I've got plans for you yet. There's something that lies ahead. You're the one who's going to bring laughter into this situation. He's calling it out. The things that were not, he calls as though they were. Some of you have a ministry ahead of you that you can't envision. You don't know what it is. You don't know exactly what God is saying, but God is calling it out in your life. You are the one to bring laughter. You're the one to bring joy. You are the one to bring the power of God into some kind of circumstance, some kind of situation. You can't see it happening in your own mind, but God can. Because he is the one who calls the things that are not as though they were. And again, Abraham, against all hope, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, those 25 years, he continued to believe that God was going to bless the world through him, that he would be the father of a nation. Even though his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. But he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. So what's the promise that God has given to you? Because Abram had a promise. God was going to give him a son. God was going to make a nation of him. God was going to bless the world through him. But I want to suggest to you here this morning that every one of us has a promise that God has given to us. In fact, if you go through this word, you'll find multitudes of promises that God has given to us. What's the one that God is speaking into your heart today? Perhaps it's the one that he spoke into your life many years ago, like he did with Abram. And you have to hold on to that. How big is your God? You ever think about that? That sometimes we limit God? You know, we, we craft this image of God that really looks an awful lot like us. And we think, well, that couldn't happen. How could that ever be fulfilled in my life? I'm 90 years old. How can I have a kid? How can I bring laughter into this tent? How big is your God? Abram, Abraham was fully convinced that God had the power to do what he had promised. And I'm fully convinced that in your life, in the body of this congregation, God has the power to do exactly what he has promised. If we'll just simply believe it, take him at his word and trust him. Not weaken in faith, but hold on tight to that. Because sometimes it does take a while, and sometimes... Our faith is being tested. God is allowing a passage of time or a series of circumstances to occur to allow our faith to strengthen. To where it is absolutely, undeniably God at work. Because there's a lot of situations that we could say, well, God has promised this. I'm going to go out. I'm going to do the work and I'm going to make it come to fruition. I'm going to make it happen. 
That's not how God likes to do his business. God likes to take the human equation as far out of it as he possibly can. Same, same thing happened with Gideon. You know, 30,000 men to go up against the Midianites. God says, too many. Gideon, got to get rid of a few. So he says, all the men who are afraid to go into battle, send them home. 20,000 depart. Now he's down to 10,000. So it's still too many. So take them to the Herod Springs and have them drink. The ones who lap it up, those are the ones that you're going to use. 300 men against the Midianite nation. See, that's how God likes to work. And so when your faith is being tested, when you're holding on to that promise, but it's been a while, you're going through some situations that you had not anticipated, hang on to that. How big is your God? God is able to accomplish those things that concern you. He will finish the work that He has begun in you. He is faithful to do that. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone and this is important but also for us to whom god will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised jesus our lord from the dead he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification so we read about these great figures in the bible and we think well yeah that but that was abraham that was david that was gideon but paul says it's for us too paul says that the power of God is just as real today as it was in Ur of the Chaldees 4,000 years ago. Looking back upon the faithfulness of God, looking to the cross, looking at the resurrection, we know that God is faithful. We know that God is powerful. So what's your circumstance? What's your situation? What's this thing that you need God to do? He's already done it for you. He calls those things that are not as though they are. So hang on to that. Do not weaken in your faith, but be assured that God will accomplish what he has promised to accomplish in your life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your promise that is powerful your word that is living sharper than any two-edged sword able to divide asunder the soul and the spirit the joints and the marrow it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart and lord here with this congregation this morning as we have looked at the life of abraham and how you worked in his life by grace through faith and what you accomplished, because he simply took you at your word. So too, Lord, for us here this morning, I pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that we would have the courage to believe, to trust, to walk in the full assurance that you will and have done everything for us with regards to salvation to be sure but also lord just with regards to our lives the concerns that we have we can cast them upon you because you care for us increase our faith lord this morning make us bold in faith allow us lord to take forth the light of your love and live it out 
yeah, we'll, we'll fall sometimes, we'll stumble, but you still see us just as though we were Jesus Christ, your son, and you love us that much. In his name we pray, amen. We are going to sing hymn 467 now, Trust and Obey. I thought it was a good hymn for this week. Trust in the word of the Lord and then allow him to do his work in you to carry out his will for you. So let's stand, Psalm or, or hymn 467, Trust and Obey. Amen. Let's join around in a circle and share joys and concerns. Worshiping God in testimony. <laughs> Amen. Just want to uh, let everyone know uh, this week we're going to be doing the hour of prayer again, 11 o'clock here in the sanctuary for anyone who wants to stay and pray. Uh, we'll be here in the sanctuary from 11 to 12 for the hour of prayer. So, joys and concerns, anything that you want to just share that God's been doing in your life? Jody.
Amen. What a testimony of a faithful life, Paul. Mike. So Mike, Matthew is being deployed to uh, Iraq or Afghanistan? Afghanistan for the third time. So be praying for him. Yes, Anne. Yay. <laughs> well, we'll be praying for George and for you. It's a lot of work taking care of someone who's on the mend. Oh, yes, Linda. <laughs> Yay. That's neat. That's neat. Welcome. Glad to have you guys with us. You visiting for a while or a couple days? Okay. Linda's want to be a little brother. It's neat. Don Salmon's in the hospital with a variety of health issues. Definitely needs supernatural intervention. Anyone else? Yes, Amy. Amen. God is able. So praying for Amy's husband, for encouragement and healing, and for Amy also. Let's definitely lift that up. Others? Good joy to share. Val and Rodrigo, thank you so much for taking the full band of kids to Grand Junction yesterday to serve others. Your uh, faithfulness in the Lord and the willingness to serve is much appreciated. Powerful. Amen. I echo that. Other joys, concerns? Anybody wants to share? This is a, such a powerful time as we are face-to-face -face with one another. You know, when you're sitting in the, the pews, you see each other's back. But here we are face-to-face, -face, just sharing and testifying of God's power and His goodness and some of the things He's done, some of the things He has yet to do. And so we will just pray 
Heavenly Father, that you would touch each of these situations in a, a powerful, powerful way. That you would move in the hearts and the bodies and the, the minds and the souls of each of these people, Lord, and, and, and just have your way. Your will be done. And Lord, we thank you for all that you continue to do in our midst. Uh, we, we look forward, Father, to see what you will accomplish with us, in us, through us, all of those things, Lord. We give you the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing alleluia to the Lord. Sing alleluia to the Lord. Sing alleluia. Sing alleluia. Sing alleluia to the Lord. Amen. Go in peace.